Forgiveness is a critical part of salvation. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Ember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 in one year. We've done this 31 years, and we're coming up on the time when we'll go 32 years. I'm very excited about that, by the way. And uh, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey, what's going on? Today, I am continuing my series all about the Sea of Galilee. And today, we're talking about fishing and fishing technology in the time of Jesus. Ryan? Well, today I'm talking about the triumphal procession of Jesus Christ, which Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 2 and also in Colossians 2. Yeah, that's very good. Look forward to that. In the next 28 minutes, you're going to be able to see all that and consider it with us. Janice, yes. what in the world are you doing? Well, today I couldn't decide between what are we wearing or action words. So right. a bit of both. Okay, a bit of both. Let's look at what God has said to us. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Today our reading is Colossians chapter 3 and 4 as we continue to go through the Bible. We're rapidly coming up on the last book of the Bible. And this is December. What a great time to be reading God's Word. Now the word command is a very powerful word. It means to direct with specific authority or prerogative. That's what command means. Now, Many people do not see Jesus Christ as someone who commands anyone to do anything. His lack of action, they say, is because he has given us the right to choose. Well, it's true that each of us make decisions about who we believe Jesus is every day and what that means in our lives. However, if Jesus Christ is God... Well, then what he says and does becomes critical for our lives. As Christians, our duty is to follow him and his ways at the expense, get this, of our individual rights. The words that Paul wrote to the church of Corinthians or the church of Colossians or Colos are important because they contain the commands of God. Now, Paul the Apostle spoke under the authority of the Holy Spirit. 
And God commands us not to look after our own interest first, but to consider the needs of others around us. Don't look after your own interests first, but pray for those around you. Now, we do that, of course, every day at the prayer meeting, but it becomes important for us to learn that. So take your Bible guide and turn to Colossians 3 and 4. It's a very good passage. And if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? We'll send you one. Write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, just click on the page, which is the front of the the guide, it'll take you to a donate page. And let me just say, I thank you so much for your donations. They have kept us alive through the pandemic and everything else. So thank you so much for that. And it becomes important that God is, his word is continuing through this time, which you have made possible. Now we don't tell you how much because that's something the Holy Spirit will tell you to give according to the Lord. And so that's what we do. But uh, if you write to us or go there, you can download from that place and from the webpage, and you can be with us in seconds as we look at acting on God's commands. Even in the New Testament, God commands. A lot of people think the New Testament is freedom to do whatever I want. No, it's not. It's God's commands we have to look at. Colossians 3, 12 to 17, last year we went 1 to, uh, 1 to 11, this year 3 to or 3, verses 12 to 17. And we read, Father, pray, I pray in Jesus' name that we would hear you today. We would hear you. We've got to hear you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and we said together, amen and amen. Let's listen to the word of God. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. This, this is the commands of God, okay? <laughs> Put on tender mercies, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on long-suffering. These are attributes that are very hard for us to do. We put them on like clothing. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and this is very important, forgiving one another. We don't see that in today's world. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, you also must do that. Has Christ forgiven you of anything? Then you must forgive them. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Wow. You see, forgiveness is a critical part of our salvation, beloved. We must forgive those who abused us and mistreated us. We have to learn as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we have to learn to forgive like Jesus Christ forgave. Now, that's hard to do. A lot of people say, I can't do that. Of course you can. You need the strength of the Lord. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. So if you don't know God, you're not going to be able to forgive. But if you know God, you can truly forgive. And I'm not just talking about saying you've forgiven him. God's Holy Spirit changes us. And whatever we have been abused by or whatever has happened to us, we've learned to forgive. And God's Holy Spirit fills us with his patience, fills us with all of these things we've just read. And that's important, beloved. We need to hear that because that's what this world doesn't do. And I'm here telling you the word of God says, do that. Very, very important. Now let's go on. 
to the next verse, 15 and 16. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay? We should always focus on the greatness of Jesus Christ working in our lives. Giving praise to the Lord is the only option for the believer. Look at this now. The word of God in my heart. I have to let the word of God live in my heart. Did you get that? It's the Bible living in my heart. I've got to read the Bible. A lot of people used to say to me, I don't have time. And I say, well, why not? You're staying home from work and you're in the pandemic. You're doing all this. You should be reading the Bible. Very interesting. You see, it's just that we don't want to read it because we don't like it. But we should read the Bible. Maybe a couple of verses every day. Watch this program and just the verses we handle here are very important. Read the Bible. We need to pay attention to what God is doing and live it and then sing praises, psalms of praise. We don't need to sing what the world sings. We don't need to do all that. But we need to give praise to God. Actually, Psalm 100 is great for sports people. I'm a hockey person. And it says, shout to God, praise the Lord. I go to a, an arena and I say, yes, go my team. But I say, praise the Lord. I say that as well. Very important. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now listen carefully. We need to pay attention to this. Whatever we devote our actions to, they should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now that, that's really interesting for a lot of reasons. Whatever we devote our actions to, they should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. You say, well, the Lord Jesus wouldn't like those actions. Well, don't do them then. Don't do them. See, we are commanded to take responsibility for all our actions. It's not just forgive, but it's learning how to act correctly. And this is really important. It's easy to act like a Christian, very difficult to react like. But God changes you so that you can act and react like a Christian because that's who you are. God changes who you are. So allow God to come into your heart and change you today. Father, come into our hearts now. Change us and make us people who follow you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all, all of us said together, amen. Now remember that today as we go through our lives. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. To continue our look at the Sea of Galilee and how it interplays in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, today you and I are going to be talking about fishing and fishing technology, specifically 
in the Sea of Galilee or on the Sea of Galilee in the first century AD, so during Jesus's lifetime. Now, you know, the Sea of Galilee, we've spoken about this on yesterday's program, it has a major role. It is a major backdrop for a lot of the miracles of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. Uh, and there's some quite a bit of fishing that goes on as well. So uh, fishing in the Galilee and on the Sea of Galilee really uh, can bolster our knowledge and our cultural understanding of what's going on in the Gospels. Take a look. A central location in the New Testament Gospels is the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus' ministry was begun in the Galilee region, and because several of his disciples were fishermen of Galilee, Jesus famously interacted with the lake. Here, he helped the disciples catch miraculous amounts of fish, even a specific fish. He calmed a storm, walked on water, taught from boats, and traveled on the lake to new regions. The Bible records some interesting details about fishing nets and fishermen, even using these as examples of the kingdom of God. In the ancient world, three types of fishing nets were used on the Sea of Galilee. The oldest and perhaps most important was the drag net. This net created a long wall parallel to the shore that would be pulled into the shore by ropes attached to its sides. Drag nets were up to 1,000 feet long and 25 feet tall at their middle point. Lead sinkers would be attached to the bottom rope and cork floats to the top rope of the net, creating a wall to capture fish. These large nets would be arranged on a boat on a special platform and then spread into the sea as the boat sailed about 100 yards from shore. A team of up to 16 men, eight on each side, would man the ropes and pull them in while they walked farther inland and toward each other. Dragging in the net would capture any fish between the net and the shore, potentially bringing in hundreds of pounds of fish. The fish would be sorted on shore because only three kinds of fish in the Galilee were considered fit to eat and commercially important. The net would be reordered and the fishing team would begin again in a different spot. This could be repeated several times a day. Jesus seems to have had the dragnet in mind when he said, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. The cast net was able to be used by a single fisherman, either standing in shallow water or from a boat. It was circular and about 25 feet in diameter. The fishermen would throw it on the water and weights attached to its perimeter would sink it quickly to the bottom of the lake, trapping any fish underneath it. The fisherman would dive down and gather the edges of the net and drag it to shore or swim it back to his boat. A trammel net is composed of three layers. The outer have a larger weave net, while the inner is tightly weaved. Several trammel nets are joined together to create up to a 500-foot-long trap. The net is spread in the water in a curve or various shapes designed by the fishermen. The boat then sails between the shore and the net, and the fishermen splash, stomp, hit the water and the boat with their oars to scare the fish away and into their trammel net. The fish become tangled, and they're taken out one by one as the net is pulled up. Or if there's a really great catch, the net may be taken to the shore to be detangled and reset. Fishing like this was generally done at night because the nets were made of linen, which would be too visible to the fish during the day.
It's always amazing to me how just understanding a little bit of some of the technology of what's being spoken of in the New Testament or some of the cultural elements can really inform things like Jesus's parables about the kingdom of heaven uh, in, and, you know, the angels casting out a net to bring in the righteous and the unrighteous. It's really interesting. It can also inform um, just situations. I mean, the kind of boat that Jesus was in and, and where he was sleeping in the boat when the storm hit before he did the miracle of calming the storm. So all of these issues are really informed by our understanding of the culture and some of the technology from the first century. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of things we don't think about airplanes flying high above us. We don't think about that. They wouldn't have been there. No. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the noises would not have been there. Traffic and it wouldn't be the subtle noises, you know, in the background. Mm -hmm. Those noises would not have been there. And well, and even simple questions of, well, why, why was Peter fishing all night? Why was fishing something that had to happen at night? And when you realize that, well, modern fishing line is invisible so that fish can't see it. But back then it was made out of cotton and linen and they could see it. So you had more luck when you fished at night. And obviously there's the temperature and all of that as well. But it just questions like that, simple questions like that are answered and informed when we know a little bit about the culture. Thank you so much for these pieces. They really inform mm -hmm. us. They're excellent. Ryan? Yeah, well, my segment today focuses actually on two passages. The first is 2 Corinthians 2.14, and the second is Colossians 2.15. Both of these passages are penned by Paul, and he says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. You know, this is really quite the, quite the image. And he uses it again in Colossians 2.15. But have you ever wondered exactly what Paul was picturing here? Well, it would seem that the apostle is comparing our triumph in Christ to a Roman military procession. Check it out. But thanks be to God, declares Paul, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. Here the apostle apparently compares our triumph in Christ to that of a Roman military triumphal procession, which was one of the grandest spectacles of ancient times. In fact, such processions were only granted to a conqueror when certain conditions were met. Included among these was that the victory had to be complete and decisive, and it had to be over a foreign foe. At least 5,000 of the enemy had to have been slain in a single battle, and the conquest had to have extended beyond the territory of the state, and put an end to the war. When all the required conditions were met, then a day was appointed for this grand and very public spectacle. On this day, the temples were all open and decorated with flowers, while incense smoked from every altar. Fragrant odors from burning spices were profusely scattered through the temples and along the streets, loading the air with their perfume. In the procession were the Senate and the chief citizens of the state, who thus by their presence honored the conqueror. The richest spoils of war, such as gold, silver, weapons of every description, standards, rare and costly works of art, and everything that was deemed most valuable by either conqueror or vanquished, were carried in open view of the crowded city. The prisoners of war were also compelled to march in the procession. 
The general, in whose honor the triumph was decreed, rode in a chariot drawn by four horses. His robe was embroidered with gold and his tunic with flowers. In his right hand was a laurel bow, and in his left a scepter, while on his brow there was a wreath of Delphic laurel. Amid the shouts of the soldiers and the applause of the populace, the conqueror was carried through the streets to the Temple of Jupiter, where sacrifices were offered, after which there was a public feast in the temple. It is to this grand spectacle which Paul is no doubt alluding to in this 2 Corinthians 2 passage, and also in Colossians 2.15, where he declares, And God, having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul portrays Christians as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, who spread the aroma or knowledge of him everywhere. And just as the fragrances of the Roman procession were inhaled by both the captives of war doomed to die, as well as the victors, so too will the pleasing aroma of Jesus Christ, the great and ultimate conqueror, be spread among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, but to the other an aroma that brings life. So Paul pictures Christians as captives in the triumphal procession of Jesus Christ, who are used by God to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. This triumph is happening now as we witness to others about the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And just as in the Roman procession, that aroma will be breathed in by both the friends of Christ as well as his enemies, both the condemned and the victors in Christ. And the battle's already won. I mean, just read the end of the Bible. So if you haven't found your freedom in Christ, then I really pray that you would do so today because tomorrow isn't promised. Make him your Lord today, please. And that's something that we need to emphasize. Tomorrow is not promised and things could change like that. And so if you want to come to Jesus Christ, come today and simply say, Lord, I need you now. Come into my heart to be the Lord and, and, and I, I need a savior. Help us, Lord. And in Jesus' name, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. So help me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray that prayer. And that is the prayer that makes the difference. God will change you forever. Janice? Well, and if you have prayed that prayer and you have come to Christ, then there's a working that happens inside of you. And that's why today I didn't know how to title this, whether to call it, What Are We Wearing?, or action words, because as Paul describes, he says these are action words that he uses to describe what we need to do after we come to Christ and, and other things that we need to do. So when we come to Christ, we don't just say, okay, well, I've come to Christ. I can just sit and rest now. There are action actions that we need to take. Paul says in verse eight and nine, he says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. So think of it as clothing. We're to put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. So these are action words. We need to put off those things, but listen to about the character of the new man or the new woman in Christ. These are things that we need to put on. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. He says, put on love, which is the bond of, of, of perfection. Then he goes on to say, we've, we've put off 
and we've put on, now we need to let. We need to allow things to happen. These are all verbs, putting on, taking off, and now we need to let something. What are we going to let? And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. We need to allow those things to happen. And you might say, well, Janice, of course, what do you mean by that? There are times in our life when we want to have the peace of God, but we actually struggle against it. And we don't allow the peace of God to come in. As we develop that relationship with Christ, we build up that faith and that trust in God. And that comes by doing the putting on and the putting off, and the letting it happen. And down here in verse 17, it says, and whatever you do, there's another action we have to do. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Now we give. We're giving our thanks to God the Father through him. So what are we wearing? Are we wearing these things that we wore before we knew the Lord Jesus? If we are, we need to ask God for his help in our lives to take those things and and put them over here. They don't belong to us anymore. Then we need to put on those things that Paul mentions, tender mercies and loving one another. And then we need to let the Spirit of God give us peace in our hearts when we pray for that. And let the Word of God, that means we have to actually know the Word of God. That means we actually have to read the Word of God, but not actually just know it and read it, but apply it in our lives so that it's coming out of us. So we need to let those things um, be a part of who we are. And then we need to remember always to give our thanks to God. That is excellent. Action words. Yeah, that's excellent. And it's a lot of all of it is submitting to Christ. It is. All of it's, it is. And it's things that we have to do. We don't just come to Christ and leave it at that. Yeah. It's a relationship. When you and I got married, when we were dating, it was work. It was a relationship. Yeah. It was getting to know one another. It's the same thing. God desires a relationship with you, with me, with us. And that's what reading his word, that's what praying and meditating on his word means. And as we learn these things, we know, oh, I see some of these things in my life, Lord Jesus. I need help to put those off. And I need to accept and put on these things that you will help me to do. Absolutely. And I want to encourage you, listen to what she says, because this is important. And God is waiting for us to come to him and let him help us. Before we go today, I want to invite you to join us on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 Eastern Time. That's New York time. And uh, we do a prayer meeting every day at 3.30. We'll pray for you. You can react to us, interact with us, and just join us and be there as we pray. Now today we're gonna pray. And let's focus our prayer this way. Lord, I want to thank you and I want to praise you with all my heart for everything you've done 
in the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, 